Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 320, recorded May 31st, 2020. So we're continuing off last episode where we were doing Star Trek Year 5. So we'll do uh, the Star Trek Year 5 issue number 10, and then they have an annual called the Star Trek Year 5 Valentine's Day Special. Ah, a little romance. Right. And ironically enough, uh, if you remember the previous issues of Year 5, there was a big romance going on there, too. So lots of lovey-dovey in these two issues. Yes, yes. We've got uh, members of the crew actually uh, exercising their uh, romantic tendencies as opposed to just uh, saving the Earth and the universe and the Federation all the time. There is room for romance. Gotta have it. That's that's the reason to live, right? There you go. Especially Sulu's interesting uh, <laughs> romance. Uh, how interesting! Why are you laughing at it? Well, uh, he's hanging out with a uh, a fish person, lady fish person. person. Anyway, interesting. Uh, beta fish person. Okay, so I still think it looks like a salamander, but I a get salamander. It. Yes. I, I understand the salamander side of it, too. But. All right. All right. Well, shall we just jump into it, or do we have any more preamble? Um, did we talk about the Captain Pike series before? Uh, we mentioned that it could Strange happen. New Worlds? Yeah. Oh, okay, so but... we, we mentioned it could happen. And, of course, right. it is happening. And that this was announced a, a week or two ago? Probably a couple weeks ago? Well, whatever. Uh, yeah, from the time we recorded this, yeah. So it's really happening. Thumbs up. That's cool. Um, I don't. I don't know that we have specific dates, but they've apparently been working on it. And uh, and I saw an interesting YouTube video with a guy. It's not, he sounds like he's from Australia, and he laid out a timeline of exactly what time period it would be that the series is likely to cover. And I didn't realize this, but. According to the Star Trek Encyclopedia and some other sources he was quoting, Captain April was the first captain, of course, mm-hmm. and, and he had the ship for five years. And then Pike had the ship for two tours of five years. So ten years. And then Kirk gets it. So I, right. I, I didn't remember how old a ship the Enterprise is in the original continuity, but I, I, I knew it was not a new ship when Kirk got it. But it's like, wow, 15 years old. Anyway, so they're talking about it pretty much, the series taking place in the second 10-year uh, span-ish. So that's kind of interesting. So, Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, doesn't Spock in the, the Menagerie, doesn't he say that he'd been with Pike for like 11 years? Uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but, I mean, Spock wasn't with him the whole, the whole time he was captain of the Enterprise. That's true. Uh, but a lot of it, most of it. So, right. So, uh, if we assume that the 
that the Klingon war thing happened during Pike's first five-year mission, then yeah, a second, having the new series based on the second five-year mission would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, so that's yeah, kind of hope, interesting. Hope, hope that is the case. And also, what he did is he went in and said, well, looking at references to things from other episodes that might have been happening within that period that they could possibly tie into was kind of interesting. So he mentioned like three different things that would have been going on in that time period that maybe they could explore. So, And one of them was the original contact the Federation had with a species that was brought... I forgot the name of the, uh, the aliens, Brace, but it was brought up in uh, an episode of Next Gen. Hmm. Where it actually said something about like 110 years ago or something like that is when they first came into contact with this species that now Picard and company are coming into contact with. So, so maybe some of that will be going on that they'll refer to in the Pike series. Maybe not. Who knows? But they'll just make up their own thing and... Exactly. Have Play-Doh versions of some other species. Yep. Yeah, and there was... Interesting. A more interesting thing that I thought was... The, the, the second thing they mentioned is that when Guinan's planet was uh, destroyed by the Borg, that mm-hmm. actually took place in that five-year time period. So would they somehow work in a younger Whoopi Goldberg-looking actress and maybe see Guinan? But obviously back in that time period, Federation didn't know anything about the Borg. So Yeah, because that would have been really far out where the Borg exactly. was and she was. Because, I mean, they yeah. didn't get to Earth they'd have until to be in the, they'd have to be in the Delta Generations, Quadrant, right? right? Well, in Star Trek Generations was when her refugee ship came close to the Earth and yeah, you the know, Nexus hit it. Exactly. Yep. That's a good point. That's right. So the refugee ship obviously took a long time to get to Earth. <laughs> right. And which well, would have made sense if they were in the Delta Quadrant, right? Right. Or wherever they were at that point. Yeah, it's yeah, been so, you... you know, because when Q snaps the Enterprise D mm-hmm. into wherever the Borg were. Right. You know, that was like supposedly the first time the Federation even knew about the Borg. Exactly. But then later we find out that Annika's family knows everything about it. and they They were still in Federation space when they got scooped up, so... It doesn't make sense. Exactly. Anyway, whatever. So whatever they're doing, I'm down for it. Let's just hope they do a good job. Yep, I'm still paying for my CBS All Access, waiting for it to come out. <laughs> I'm not. I do need to cancel that. So I'll that pick they... it back up again when there's something worth watching. But there no, isn't right that's now. That's the reason why I'm getting it. Yeah, exactly. All okay. right, so shall we talk about year five? Let's do it. Yes. All right, so issue 10 came out January of 2020, so just a few months ago. And uh, as of the recording, this is the uh, end of May, beginning of June. This is the last regular issue that's come out. So due to the whole COVID thing, we have no more issues after this for now. Writer is Jim McCann, artist by Sylvia Califano, colorist by Sebastian Chang, letters by Neil Yutaki, edits by Chase Marotz. Group editor, Denton J. Tipton. All right, so there's two covers. Uh, the first cover, the main cover, is by Stephen Thompson, and it shows Ayel, who is uh, Sulu's love interest, in case y'all forgot, 
and Sulu kind of swimming away from a underwater city being destroyed. And then the uh, retail incentive cover by J.J. Lindell is one of those weird travel posters. So it says uh, it's the Star Trek Year 5 travel guide. And it shows like a, I don't know, what's it called? Mondo type artwork of, of Ayel, I guess, in the foreground. And then there's like little bubbles coming off of his mouth. And it says, it'll take your breath away. And then it says, dive deep into the underwater worlds of Iquos. So, uh, yep, that's it. So the story picks up exactly where issue nine left off with the surface dwellers of Iquos starting an all-out war with their aquatic ancestors over the alleged killing of their leader. Though the leader was only stunned by Chekhov's phaser, the surface people are now using it as an excuse to burn the underwater city to ashes. So the aquatic leader who was in the peace talks with the surface people is now tied to the ground and the uh, land dwellers are standing above them saying, dry out, dry out, dry out. Very rude. Uh, Ayal, Sulu, Chekhov, and Spock are also captured, but they're able to punch their way through the bottom of the floor and escape back to the ocean. And they make their way back to the burning city. Chekhov saves Sulu's life from a phaser blast and takes a, a hit to the shoulder. Though Sulu still blames the man for being the catalyst, even though we, the reader, and Chekhov keeps telling us that it's not his fault. The guy grabbed his hand, forced his hand on the trigger, and uh, that was how the surface dweller's leader got hit. Ayal takes over the leadership role and orders the evacuation of the city. The fish people load into shuttles and head towards a nearby moon to escape all the fighting. Ayal then takes a page out of Zeus's playbook and he unleashes the Kraken. Ayal states that this Kraken-type creature will cleanse the planet and return it back into balance. Sulu and Ayal part ways after a very passionate kiss. Ayal gives Sulu a vial of healing water to use on Kirk back on the Enterprise. They board the shuttle and they flee the planet as the Kraken-type creature lays waste to the surface city. Later on the Enterprise, the team try to talk McCoy into using the magic water. Chekhov says he even used it on himself and his phaser burn just magically healed. Spock even says that he used it and it cured him of the pain he's been having ever since the failed mind meld with Bright Eyes several issues ago. McCoy relents and uses the water. Kirk soon wakes up and makes a full recovery. As Sulu, Spock, and Chekhov are leaving sickbay, Sulu requests that Chekhov no longer work beside him. Oryx happens to be walking by, and Spock then promotes him to navigation and tells Chekhov that he is being transferred to security. Later, Sulu enters his quarters and laments about the loss of his true love. Perhaps one day he can return and be with a, a y'all. But who knows if and when that day will ever come. The end. So There you go. There you go. Well, you were completely right. They're able to use the fish people juice to uh, save Kirk. You said that before. So, thumbs up. And I was kind of surprised that they just used it for healing all kinds of things. Spock's issues with the mind meld, and of course we know about Chekhov. Right. Um, but, yeah. I, I, I like McCoy's reaction to the whole idea. 
Yeah. And finally, in just pained resignation, he just says, do it. Do it. Fine, do it. So. Yeah. So when they jumped in the water and they were able to breathe mm-hmm. without any scuba gear. Aquaman thought, style? Yeah. I thought they said the water was healing them that way. Yep. So why wouldn't Sulu or why wouldn't Chekhov be immediately healed? Because he was in the water when he got yep. hit with the phaser. And why Spock. wouldn't? Yeah, they're breathing in the water. So why wouldn't right. that heal them? And they almost... Why they have to have the vial, the special vial that exactly. they all came from. They made it seem like the vial contained even more special healing water. Right. Supposedly it was healing the damage from breathing yeah. air from the water. Anyway. Yeah, so basically it was, they were drowning, but the healing water was curing them as it was destroying their lungs. So uh, it was a wash. They got to keep living and talking exactly. as they were slowly dying. Because didn't even say, like, oh, so it doesn't kill us, it just kills us with style or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, Chekhov says that, Yeah, which I, which I thought was kind of clever. Yeah, which, I thought that was funny. It was funny. It just distracted us a little bit away from how ridiculous the whole concept was, but yes. But they've forgotten that now. Now you have to have this special vial. It's apparently so. Yeah, I didn't care for that part. I wish they would have just said, hey, just take some of this water with you. Yeah, exactly. Now, healing water that can save Kirk and stuff, it's like, well, we should get more of that. I mean, that's like one of those game-changing things like uh, like long-distance transporters. Right. That kind of change things significantly that you just never hear about again. Or uh, con blood, augment blood. Right. You know. Basically anything in the J.J. movies. Exactly. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Anyway. Yeah, perhaps they pushed the envelope too much in those movies. Maybe you think? Right, I think so. Yeah. Well, so. then, and then discovery with the uh, with the missilial oh, drive and all that stuff that yeah. also kind of ruins some of Star Trek. But at least yes. they, they they kind of retconned it at the end. Yeah, they yeah they kind of uh, you know either they always had the idea oh we'll do something later and they filled in the uh, they figured out exactly what is the year as as production went on, uh, but yeah, it seems a, a little uh, strange. Anyway, whatever. So is Bright Eyes still in the sick bay here, or is he is he gone now? Oh, he's on they the, don't. He's on the ship. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, they just don't bother acknowledging him because he wasn't necessary, I guess. I mean, is he injured from rescuing Kirk and all that stuff? Well, they never sh- they never explicitly showed that he had any damage. Oh, okay. But, I mean, that's the magic thing about the Tholians, right? I mean, they prefer I- incredibly high heat environments, yet, oh yeah, no problem. They survive in fine space. in space, very cold in space. And they also apparently have great resistance to radiation. Um, yeah, without a suit. Just exactly, exactly. So they, they never said that Bright Eyes had any damage like Kirk. Uh, so I guess he doesn't. There you go. All right, so can we talk about, I don't know, being a person that likes everything to connect, I'm sure you also enjoyed the one-page explanation as to why Sulu and Chekhov are now... Ah. Uh, not sitting together in, exactly. in the cartoon. Right. And also RX. They brought RX in. So, yeah. you know, quite frankly, I wasn't crazy about this issue. 
and how they wrapped everything up, especially the magic kaiju that pops up out of nowhere, which with really poor explanation. But I do like how they kind of explained some transitions that were going on. So, yeah, I, I, I like that part. So here, here's my problem with it. This acts like RX is getting promoted maybe out of secure or uh, engineering or something. Well, he's got a gold shirt on. but I know, but he's with the engineers. I don't know, but he doesn't sound like he's a navigator. But we have Star Trek Year 4 comics by IDW where he is the, the yeah. navigator. Yeah, it's not perfect, but... Yeah. It's like, it's... come on, IDW, did you not see that you already had a miniseries out where he is the uh, navigator sometimes right. during Year 4? Yeah. Year 4, it's in the name. It comes before <laughs> Year 5. <laughs> Picky, picky, picky. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I hated seeing Sulu hate Chekhov that much that he's yeah. like, I request that I never see this, this scourge a... in the face again. You know, in ways they're trying to show how, uh, you know, how he really loved Ayal. It's this is great loss for him. I mean, he even uh, calls Spock a cold-hearted bastard. So he's really overreacting to things. I think, and he's really hard on Chekhov, but I get his his feelings. I mean, if, if he was a real person, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, can understand. I think a little why, overboard. I can understand why he feels that way. Hundred yeah. percent. I I can understand. My problem is, is that I don't like the idea that the reason why Chekhov's not in the cartoon or why he's taken on a different role in Star Trek two and one is that uh he and sulu had a falling out like this yeah and especially when it wasn't Chekhov's fault yeah they had the 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 surface people pulled out guns on them he pulled out his gun on on them right to have a mexican standoff kind of thing right and somebody tackled him and forced him to pull the trigger and accidentally shot the leader none of it is Chekhov's fault but now sulu is going now i'm supposed to like watch the cartoon and watch the star trek movies thinking that sulu hates Chekhov that much yeah just yes. makes me a little apparently sad. so it's very sad it's very sad doesn't make a lot of sense i mean it makes sense i just don't like it no, i just wish I they would have come up with i don't think it makes that much sense uh, and, and also in Taw's universe even though spock is first officer mm-hmm. i don't think you see him as often in the Riker-like mode, where he's kind of running the details of the ship, where a lot of times the captain worries about you know higher-level things, and Riker right. just takes care of things, uh, you know, at the at the detail level. Because I mean, Spock just goes ahead and does the shuffle, doesn't even talk to Kirk about it, and he probably has that that right, that that power, because he is the first officer. Although they, you don't really see that much of him exercising that role, right? Um, so I thought it was a little odd that Spock's just, you know, doing all the shuffling. And, uh, and of course, you know, Kirk is, is sick. But still, you don't... Well, actually, he's not sick anymore by this point. But he is re- still recovering, I guess. I just thought that was kind of odd that Spock was, uh, you know, just making all these decisions. Yeah. No, I get you. But I also thought it was just odd that Arx just happened to be walking by at the same time. <laughs> and then Spock's like, hey, you know navigation. You're the new <laughs> navigator. <laughs> hey, hey, you, you, uh, yeah, you, you're the new navigator. Anyway. That's well, what it felt like. That's, that's what, what it felt, felt like. like. It, did, it did. And another thing that's odd is, who is Ensign 
Grenier exactly? Who is he that, supposed to be? The guy exactly? in between them? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. have no idea. So Scotty's there, this Ensign Grenier, and then RX. They're like in a line together in the hallway. Right. Uh, I guess they're, although Scotty doesn't mention RX, uh, he's saying, ooh, Ensign Grenier and I were just here coming to see the captain. Uh, and now I hear he's awake? And it's like, well, why'd you shoehorn this other guy in? <laughs> I mean, okay, you did. Fine. There are more people than just the main bridge crew, the main characters. But who's he's got a name and everything? And and let me look at his face a little bit. Is he supposed to be somebody we know? And I'm looking at him a little bit, and he does look a little bit like uh, Gene Roddenberry, in my opinion. Although Gene Roddenberry was a big, tall guy, uh, right. probably probably taller than uh, James Doohan. But I just I was just try like you, trying to find connections, and I'm just wondering if he is supposed to be somebody. And uh, I did Yay. some. Uh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I did a quick search: Star Trek Ensign Grenier, and it didn't even. I didn't get any hits. No hits. No hits. Mm. So uh, I thought, is that? A production person? Is somebody involved in the comics? Or or is it supposed to be somehow be Roddenberry? I don't know. What do you yeah, think? I don't know. I don't know. I just thought it was somebody that stood in line hoping to get a promotion, too. I don't know. Ensign <laughs> <laughs> Grenier wanted to come by to uh, do a little brown nosing. Right. Hey, right. Grenier, you got a little something on your nose. And then RX is like, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So Rx has three fingers in this. Doesn't he normally have five? Oh, you spotted that? I did not spot that. And when he's doing the eye oh, graduated right, first in my right. glass, he, he has Yoda fingers. Uh, <laughs> you are correct. I see uh, apparently one pointing finger, <laughs> a thumb, <laughs> and then one other finger. Right. Yeah. I guess he's got three. So he's got three legs, three arms, and three fingers. Interesting little known fact. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure in the uh, cartoon he had five. But uh, ah. I, I might be wrong. And Ayal has three also, I think. From the did cover. She, did, did they? If you look at the cover, I'm pretty... Oh, no, she's got four. So she's got three fingers and a thumb. Right, okay, right. Okay. Yeah. As go. all good fish people do. Apparently so. Or salamander people. Or salamander people, yeah. There you go. So, let's talk about it. The, the kaiju? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, ki- the kaiju, the kraken, whatever, just pops up out of nowhere. Did the surface dwellers forget about this kraken? And. Yeah. And it is actually literally attacking the Lokari city, right? I mean, he's uh, out of the, the wonder. People. Yeah. Exactly. Out of the water, you know, destroying that coastal city. Yeah. So, interesting. I mean, it looks like a, a scene out of uh, a... Uh, Harry Hausen. Ha- no, Harry... Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, the special effects. The special effects. Yeah. What was right. it? Right. Harry Hausen. Something like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That that one guy that uh, was... Yeah, I know which, which black and white movie you're talking about. Although I don't remember the name of it. But All yeah, of it... it 
<laughs> Actually, I was thinking more of the more recent that that more recent one that was done like like in uh, 2010 or something. It wasn't that long ago. I forgot the name of it though. Godzilla? No, it wasn't Godzilla. It was uh Pacific Rim? No, not Pacific Rim. It, it was it, it was a JJ production. Oh, well, I don't uh, think he was the director, but No, uh, it was um Oh shoot! I knew what it was. Uh, Cloverfield. Yeah, right. Clover. Yeah, yeah. Cloverfield. So, but that had a sea creature coming up out of nowhere, destroying the city. And right. I, th- I think it even. I mean, it looks like it a little bit, a little bit. But uh, it's like so. It's very convenient. I- I'm not crazy about it. Yeah, it just seemed really out of nowhere and and extreme, right? So they're attacking your city. So you just release this like uh, release the mythical creature that's going to destroy the planet and bring it back to. Uh, I didn't even understand what she meant when when she was saying what it was going to do. It's going to like destroy everything and then kind of bring the Earth or the planet back to its last known good. And then they're going to come back from the moon and resettle it. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. I don't know, but it seemed like it was like uh, the doomsday weapon in the fact that it was going to destroy the Locari, right? I mean, right. I mean, they, they made it sound like there's going, they're going to have to fight this war and there's going to have to be negotiations and stuff. But, hey, you've got this Kraken on your side. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I don't think there needs to be much negotiation here. You're just going to, you know, um, end the war and just take over or whatever. Right. Yeah, like I said, it seemed like a very abrupt ending, I thought. Kaiju coming in and cleaning everything out. Yep. Yep, tying up the loose ends rather quickly. Anyway, whatever. Ah, so now Sulu is left to nurse's broken heart. That's true. I really don't have much else to talk about. I just thought that the surface dwellers were kind of jerks about like dry 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 and then uh <laughs> and then they died so i mean <laughs> that was pretty much it yeah and that leader who was amongst the uh who was bound and drying out that they were saying dry dry so i guess she's lost because she would be killed by the kaiju probably as as the the dried out surface dwellers city is decimated by a force of of nature whatever yeah, yeah. i imagine they're quite squashed <laughs> yeah, but they would, <laughs> but uh, Sulu and everybody wouldn't know because they're off to the next outer space adventure. Okay, yeah, that's all I have to say. All right, cool. All right, so now we get to the lovey devy one. If this yes. wasn't lovey devy enough, they're gonna crank it up to eleven. Yeah. Well, by the time this issue happened. There was a little less of the lovey... Well, no, they did their kissing goodbye, so that was kind of lovey-dovey. Yeah, with, their hands, with their hands parting. And exactly. That, that page is, is bittersweet for sure. Oh, yes. There you go. And it's a nice page. It's nicely drawn. I really like it, yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's kind of cool because... Uh, what's her name? Arel? Ayel? Ayel. Ayel. Has a... As a trident, yes. Similar to, uh, she even has an Aquaman trident. Aquaman, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. all right. So let's move on. Okay, then, yeah, let's ready. get on this one. So this is the Valentine's Day special, as Donovan had mentioned, and the title of it is "Captains of Sea and War." So we actually get a title in this one. 
February 2020 is the published date. The writer is Paul Cornell. Art by Christopher Jones. Colors by Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer Neil Yataki. Showrunners uh, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Assistant editor Riley Farmer, which I don't think I've ever seen his name before. But uh, Editor Denton J. Tipton. Okay, so we have two covers. Cover A features two poses of those captains of love. Laura Roan, who we'll meet soon, and Captain James Kirk. One of them shows them in uniform and kissing, and that dominates the upper half of the cover. And then the lower half of the cover, they are sitting together on a rock in casual kind of beach clothes, looking up at the stars. Between the two lovebirds are drawings of the mighty Enterprise and Drake, which is Captain Roan's ship warping in opposite directions in the middle of the cover, perhaps signifying that the ships will always be between them. Who knows? The IDW logo in the upper left-hand corner, it's there like normal, but it's now in scrolly pink font. It's all pink, and it has like kind of a cockeyed art drawn. So it very much is aping the Valentine special thing. And then... uh, In the lower half, there's some pink, uh, scrolly lettering that says, Valentine's Day Special. So, it's almost like somebody signed it. So, this is is very much a Valentine's Special cover. Now, you think that might be Valentine's Special, but oh no. The Retailer Incentive cover beats it by showing Spock playing the Vulcan... Liar, or I guess it's been called a couple different things. But it's the harp, you know, he, we've seen Spock play it before in Taws. And uh, there's text that says, I have been and always shall be your Valentine. So very uh, romantic there. Thank you, Spock. You've always been quite the romantic. Kirk is on shore leave on a sun-drenched beach where several Starfleet ships' crews are enjoying themselves. A lovely brunette walks up to Kirk and strikes up a conversation while McCoy keeps his distance with a mint julep in hand. Ah, McCoy, the quintessential wingman. It turns out that this lovely lady is Captain Laura Roan of the USS Drake, and she rather forwardly starts a conversation with our Captain James Kirk because she is sick of reading her book, or so she says. Kirk appreciates the honor of being hit on by Laura, but their chit-chat is cut short by the apparent kidnapping of a Starfleet ensign by three local ruffians. The two captains with phasers in hand end those shenanigans and decide to return to one of their ships to fill out paperwork associated with the incident. Before you know it, they are in bed likely not just sleeping and reading. Six months later, Captain Roan and the Drake is tangling with three Nausicaan pirate ships who are attacking a supply convoy. She is faking them out with overtures of parley that she intends to follow up immediately with weapons fire of a full spread of photon torpedoes. But before she can execute her plan, the Enterprise swoops in firing phasers at two of the ships. What the hell, she says. She had this situation in hand. 
Later, after the battle is won, the pirates are being marched off to the brig by what appears to be brown shirts? The colors are a little off in this issue, at least on this panel. Captain Roan is reading Kirk the Riot Act, saying it was her battle, and Kirk should have at least contacted her and consulted. Kirk says he maintained radio silence to take the pirates by surprise. Being the first one to recognize he lost the battle, Kirk apologizes with those puppy dog eyes. Laura forgives him, and they end up in bed again. Wah, wah, wah. Later, Laura and Jim are walking in a forest on an alien planet. The red grass and purple bushes were the first giveaway. Laura assumes this is a date. Kirk is not quite so sure. Laura says they are doing this in the wrong order. Kirk agrees, but admits he's not 100% sure what they are doing. They talk about how much they love being starship captains, and how they never want to stop. Laura says, to the sky above, with her arms outstretched, who would ever want to stop being a ship captain? She tells Jim, let's not do that. Kirk agrees, but with a look of regret in his eyes. In the coming days, they dance, they hike, they kiss, they read books in bed, and more. Laura reads a book about the origins of the Portuguese language and comments there was a Portuguese rank in the Portuguese Navy they called the Captain of Sea and War. It means you are a serious captain, one who is in the big chair for life. Two months later, the two captains work together in a battle against a Romulan ship. During the engagement, they practically read each other's minds. When Captain Roan hits the Romulan ship in just the right spot with full phasers, Kirk is ready to transport to the Enterprise a stolen Federation prototype. Later, the two captains toast their victory, and Laura says they make a pretty good team. Always one to press an advantage, Laura asks James T. Kirk to marry her. Kirk does not answer immediately and seeks the advice of his two closest friends, Spock and McCoy. They both think marrying Laura is Kirk's best shot at happiness, and with the five-year mission months from being over, this would be the right time to make the change. Kirk thanks them for their input. Next, Kirk is able to somehow visit Carol Marcus and speak to her about it. She makes some good points, the best of which is, will James Kirk be happy at just being a starship captain? Later on the Enterprise, O'Hara brings Captain Kirk word that Starfleet has a promotion to Admiral waiting him when he finishes the five-year mission and returns to HQ. Six weeks after Laura proposed, she and Kirk are walking on that planet with the red grass and the purple bushes again. Laura wants to know what gives with letting this go for six weeks without even calling her at all. Jim tells her he spoke to Carol Marcus, who got him thinking about eventual promotion. Well, it's happened. He has been offered Admiral's rank. Laura immediately realizes Kirk is taking the promotion and not her. Crying, she does not want to hear another word from Kirk, and she beams back to the Drake. One year later, in Starfleet HQ, Admiral Kirk is notified a miniature black hole 
has just appeared near the moon. This exceedingly rare event will destroy the moon and likely wipe out most life on Earth. The only ship currently in Earth orbit is the Drake, which is in for repairs. Kirk contacts Captain Roan on the Drake, who is already aware of the event and a potential solution. An antimatter implosion that should shunt the threat back out of our reality. Roan tells the Admiral her science officer is preparing the antimatter charge. They are moving into position and are ready to, to sound the abandoned ship. She wants the Admiral to give the word. With deep regrets, Admiral Kirk gives the word. Captain Laura Roan, her first officer and her Endorian head of security, fly the Drake straight at him and saves billions of lives. Fifteen years later, after Kirk is demoted to the rank he was destined to hold, Captain Kirk is back on the Enterprise and receives word the Drake is back from beyond Federation space. He meets her again. She has been through a lot. She brought her ship back with a skeleton crew to Federation space with some scars to bear witness. A blue alien gem instead of a right eye being the most obvious. He wants to try to start again, but she has been offered Admiral's rank, and she is going to take it. Broken-hearted, he turns to leave, but she brings him around. She proposes to spend the remaining two days at the same rank together. They kiss as Jim says, Where do we start? The end. Where do they start? Uh, where do they start? Well, they start, yeah. they start uh, kissing. Oh, that's where they started. Okay. Yeah, but I think Kirk is just saying, well, okay, two days. Well, we're, or is he saying, well, where do we start? And then they, yeah. you know, saying, uh, and that triggers the kiss. Or, uh, or whether he's, like, talking more. Like, what, what do we do tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably the entree to the kiss. So what exactly happened to the ship? That it comes back all good crystallized. Question. Very good question. Yeah, so the the Drake looks like kind of an early version of a a Reliant class ship, right? Right. Okay. And it's got a bunch of like blue crystals, diamonds or something. I don't know. Well, probably not diamonds, but at least it's not cut like a diamond, but it's almost like, it's actually kind of like, uh, what, Fortress of Solitude kind of thing? It looks a lot like the Fortress of Solitude. There you yeah. go. So it's cleaved on to the outside of parts of the Drake. Right. And her face. <laughs> and her face, right. So I mentioned the eye. It looks like her right eye is gone, and she's got, you know, Fortress of Solitude blue uh, crystals in her eye. And her left right. ear, I think. I think that's just an earring. It's like, is it? It's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell. So I'm thinking this ship destroyed this, this whatever this is, the the Kryptonian crystals, whatever, <laughs> has somehow damaged her ship. Obviously, she's re, uh, damaged her eye, but she's like, I like the bling, so I'm going to stick it in the eye socket and <laughs> put it on my ears. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know. They they didn't explain. That's it. the story I wanted to hear. Not uh, <laughs> you know, spending those couple pages of Kirk getting demoted and stuff. I already know that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
Yeah, so, so basically, Captain Roan, with only two other people in the ship, went off on a Catherine Janeway-esque adventure that took 15 years for them to get back to Federation space, right? Right, yeah. So that, that's kind of interesting. The adventures of Captain Roan in, in wh- whatever quadrant she ended up in. Yeah, exactly. Right after going right down a black hole's throat. Exactly. Right. So, mm. uh, yeah. So they they hinted things, uh, but they're things we'll never we'll never find out about. So, right. right. And you pointed out a good point about um, there only being three people on the whole ship. So that means they had to completely man a whole starship with three people. Right. And they don't have Scotty's like super duper. I can control the Excalibur with, with seven people uh-huh. uh, technology. Yeah, automation or whatever. Right. Yeah. So they had to do it on their own. Exactly. So were they? Did they end up taking on uh, alien crew or something to help run the ship? Yeah. Did, or... did a monkey ship get in there with them? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, and, and those crystals that were everywhere, was that some kind of an augment? Like, what, what, what did Janeway use to get back to the Alpha Quadrant again? Uh, warp well, tunneling? Shielding. or yeah. Well, she had transwarp trans-warp shielding or, some, or some... Transwarp tunneling. I don't know. It was Borg tech, right? Right. But then they had all that armor plating stuff, too. Oh, wouldn't, wasn't that, like, developed later, though? I mean, yeah, it was from, it was from the future. Right, it was future exactly. Janeway bringing it to exactly, future. exactly. So, yeah. um, anyway, so maybe that was some kind of ship augment they were able to do that helped them get back faster. I don't know, but we'll never know. What I like to think is that she went to Krypton, <laughs> okay, as it was being destroyed, and they uh, were able to use some of the the Sunstone to help fix their ship and start heading back. I'll tell you, that's as good an explanation as any. <laughs> yeah, and come to find out that our whole crew is now Superman, and uh, <laughs> they're going to win every fight. <laughs> that's why she got promoted so easy. There you go. Not okay. only did you suffer for 15 years, but you brought back a crew of Superman. Exactly. That aren't, you're you're going to be at Yeah, that aren't overly ambitious at all. All right. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so uh, Captain Roan... Obviously a very important character and a new character. And she's got, uh, you know, they got they have to do a, a particular look for her. And um, I think they modeled Captain Roan's face off of uh, an actress, uh, a Hollywood actress that, that we've seen in multiple things. Uh, did you think she looked was modeled after somebody? Um, no, nobody jumped out at me, no. Okay. Well, um, there is an actress uh, named Eva Mendez, and oh, okay. she's been in. She was in Hitch with Will Smith, and she's been in a variety of other movies. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, she look. She looks like she is a Hispanic ancestry, and of course, Mendez. You'd think so. Lovely right. woman, beautiful woman. Um, and I did go out and look for photos, and I did find one that's a good match. So I can't show you this, but, sure. um, but yeah, so it's, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you later. Uh, <laughs> I, can we, well, I don't know. I don't know whether, well, whatever. It, it's, it's a good match. I think, I really do think it's her. 
Now, uh, other people I looked up that might she might have been uh, based off of, although I don't think that's the case, but maybe there was some influence from the others, is Pam Greer. She looks a little bit like Pam Greer, but I think she looks more like Eva Mendes. Um, and then, of course, in the end, I thought maybe Jennifer Lopez, but I looked Jennifer Lopez, and that's the worst match. <laughs> Eva Mendes is the best match to run. Yeah. I'm looking at Eva Mendez and looking at these pictures, and you, you're definitely on to something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that the artist, our artists in comic books have based a character off of a, a real person. Sure. Um, so that, that's my theory. Yeah, good point. So um, I thought it was interesting that uh, one of Kirk and her pastimes was uh, – Reading naked in bed. That was. Uh huh. That, that's. They are bookworms. It was, it was just so funny how many pictures were just one of them naked in bed with the the book propped up just to, you know, be a little modest. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just like. One was enough, but then they did it like three or four times to show, you know, either one reading a book and the other one sleeping or one or the other way or both reading. Or, right. It was just weird. It, yeah, but you you know Kirk's a bookworm. Good thing they're not reading paperbacks. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, speaking of books, um, that Portuguese... The history uh, of Portuguese? Well, yeah, okay. So she read the history of Portuguese, but then at towards the end of the story where Kirk hears the Drake is back... Kirk is reading a book that says Portuguese Navy. The the history of Portuguese Navy. Right. So that was it's kind of nice. Um she was reading one book uh about Portuguese, I guess, uh, captain of uh, war and uh and whatever. Uh, the title of the the whole thing, uh the, right. whole, the whole thing. And then um and then he's like kind of reading it too, so he's he's still got her in his heart after all this time. Years later, yeah, yeah. So another yeah. B- a book tie-in. That's how that works, you know. That's why Sulu's not going to forgive Chekhov ever. Like I said, I get it, but I just don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it either. All right, so uh, you pointed out something, and I really enjoyed uh, that you you put it together, and I didn't. Um, that this story reminded you of another story we did. Indeed, yeah. Want to go into that? Yeah. So um, we did. We were exposed to Scotty's great romance of his life. So Peter David had wrote uh, for DC a 1998 annual. I think it was annual number three, but uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty but, sure you're right. But this was all about um, Scotty's great love with uh, Glynis Campbell, somebody that he grew up with uh, uh, on Earth in Scotland. And in that story, too, they're basically star-crossed lovers who come into contact with each other multiple times uh, through their lives. Ultimately, in that story, Glynis died, but actually she became part of Starfleet. But, of course, in this story, they didn't end it the same way, which is good. (laughs) So Captain Roan actually goes on to becoming Admiral Roan, so good for her. But there were some parallels between the two stories, or at least they used a similar formula. Right. 
Nah, I really like that uh, that you caught that. Yeah. Yeah. And and that one also was kind of cool because it also showed, you know, the different eras. So Scotty in the red shirt, Scotty in a mm-hmm. in the uh, Taz movie, right? And then also in the red uh, Wrath of Khan uniform. So yep. yeah, very very similar right uh, plot threads. Yep. And and this story, uh, we saw uh, folks in the pajamas. I and, love the pajamas. Uh, Bring back the pajamas. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and and. I liked some of the spots in this book because clearly you can kind of say, oh, okay, this is from, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek Four or something. Or you could spot right. the time periods. Oh, this is close to motion picture time frame because, well, it must have been before motion picture. Uh, the actual motion picture uh, when Roan actually went in to uh, take care of the black hole, the mini black hole, um, because of costuming and Kirk's role as an admiral Kirk's and blah role, blah blah. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. You kind of spot things similarly to what you're saying with the uh, the Scotty romance story, right? Yeah, my only complaint. I like this story, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, my really my only complaint about the story is I hate I hate that Carol Marcus talks him out of being happy. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, she's warning him about what he's going to find out. Yeah, but. Because wouldn't you think, wouldn't, actually she's quite prescient in uh, in saying that. Um, she knows he's ambitious, and she knows, I mean, he wanted to follow his career just like Will Riker. So she is just projecting that into the future, and it's like, are you going to be happy just staying where you're at? I mean, I, I, think, I think whether she said it or not, he would have made the same choice uh, to becoming an admiral rather than being with uh, Captain Roan. Mm. Do you think she wouldn't have, or do you think he wouldn't have? Yeah, I don't know. It's just that we just—I just read the Star Trek: The Motion Picture book, mm-hmm. and in, in in that they introduced that he did have a wife in between uh, the the five-year mission ending and Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Well, was that wife? No, he did have a wife. Yeah. I read the same book, and I didn't remember remember reading the word wife. It was uh, it was, it was they, it, it, they were in a relationship. Did, what was he was he married to her? Okay, I thought they said that she was ma- they were married, but no. okay, okay, well, whatever. They could have been married, but yeah, he definitely had a uh, uh, you know a significant other in that time right. period, right? Who it turns out another admiral set him up with. Right, it was a, it was a Starfleet appointed wife. <laughs> that, that was what I got out of it. Yeah, but it wasn't literal. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I thought they, I thought it was a wife thing, but maybe not. Maybe well, just a, a consort thing. Yeah, she was assigned. She apparently was assigned to like ease Kirk's way into, you know, big out explore whatever, and into being uh, a chair bound paper pusher. Uh, but uh, and then it, and then they fell in love. So there you go. So, anyways, what else you got on this story? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, really, not that much. Um, I think I've already mentioned most of the main things that I found interesting. Uh, it, it, were they always going back to the same planet? 
Uh, definitely look the same. Yeah, so uh, Kirk and Roan are at multiple periods of time, and, and some of these some of these periods of time are different time periods, significant time periods, but they always seem to be on the same uh, planet with, uh, what, purple... <laughs> Uh, purple Vegetation. bushes and and red grass and whatever. Um, so, eh, whatever. Well, once you have your spot, then yeah, you're gonna go back to the same spot. You're keep exactly. going back. Yeah. Hey, could we could we meet meet back at Cestus Five? No problem. We're ship's captains. We can go wherever we want. Exactly. Now, how would that have really worked? Well, yeah, especially if they're both on five-year missions in different sections of the space. Exactly, and and Kirk's supposed to be like moving out into unknown yeah, space, right? And and maybe, she, yeah. Anyway, exactly. Nope, hundred percent agree. Yeah. Oh, oh. Actually, I just wanted to mention that this kind of reminded me of the situation with um, Cisco and Cassidy Yates. I just want to mention that. So. Deep Space Nine, Benjamin Sisko, um, and then at one time period, uh, being with Cassidy Yates. Did they get married? Yeah. Okay, so they were actually married. Okay, so there's two ships, ship, well, ships, two captains. <laughs> um, and so Cassidy is captain of some kind of uh, transport ship or whatever, and then uh, Sisko's captain, but he's... He's, he's at the station. And so that kind of reminded me a little bit or gave me a peek at what Kirk and Roan's married situation could have been maybe like, even though it's not 100% the same. Yeah. No, I, I could see that. But they made it work. Until they he did. became a, a, a incorporeal entity. Exactly. In did they ever talk about that? I mean, the fact that he's now... He's yeah, exactly incorporeal. He's with the uh, whatever wormhole the, the wormhole aliens exactly. Um, even though he's only half wormhole alien, but apparently that's <laughs> enough. Um, and so, did they ever talk about the fact that uh, he's basically left Cassidy? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's mentioned. Okay, okay, okay. And by the way, I didn't realize that Cisco's middle name was Lafayette. Oh wow! I. Never realized that, but uh, when I did, when I when I looked this up, I wanted because I didn't remember Cassidy Yates' name. Um, it gave Cisco's middle name. It mentions his middle name, and it was like, oh, Lafayette. Huh. That never came up before. Hmm. What is the uh, what's her doctor's name? Her doctor name in uh, oh in Orville in Orville. Uh, I, I I don't remember why you not Lafayette. No, 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 no. I was just when you kept calling her Gates, I was like, ah, "What's her name? What's her name?" But I couldn't, I couldn't come up with it. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, I, uh-huh. it took me a couple episodes of uh, of uh, Orville to figure out who she was. Mm. I kept thinking she looks familiar. Yeah, I, same thing. Oh, she's very familiar. Who's, oh, DS Nine, right? <laughs> anyway, that's all so I have I, to say. I did look up Lori Sienna. Who was the uh, his Kirk's wife during? Oh, uh, okay. According okay. to that book and other books. Okay. So they were married during the uh, the little in the books they were married. Oh, okay. I... And then divorced, and then she died on the transporter pad going to Earth, uh, 
going from uh, she was with uh, Vox or whatever his name was that they turned inside out on the uh, transporter pad. Yeah, the uh, the Vulcan. Yeah, who was supposed to <laughs> replace Spock? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, so yeah, a little bit of uh, behind the scene thing is that uh, that that was supposed to be his wife, which is never said in the movie. So when he's no. like all sad looking. Not only is he sad because, you know, three crew members just turned inside out, but one of them was his wife, his ex-wife. Ex-wife, right. Yeah. <laughs> so when I read the book and that happened, I was like, oh, my God, that, that scene just took a, a much darker tone. <laughs> exactly. And my God, is he emotional. It's just like, mm, well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> bring, bring the next ones up by shuttle, I guess. We got to go. <laughs> Maybe he was just happy he didn't have to pay any more alimony. I don't know. Um, ooh, ah, yeah, well, that's bad. That's bad. Yeah, All right. That's probably, not the, that's probably not the case. In the future, there is no alimony because there's no money. There's no credits except when and, you buy troubles. Unless the story needs needs there to be credits. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so those are – I like the I like the Valentine's Day special better than the uh, Issue 10. Yeah. Issue 10 was just so abrupt. It was just like – Kraken, end. <laughs> Magic water. You know, that was it. <laughs> Let's wrap it all up. Right. Good point. Yeah, where this one I like that it was a it was a long story. Um, you know, long as in it took years and years and years to, to play out. Mm-hmm. And I loved seeing the two ships, like the Enterprise the old Enterprise and then the refit Enterprise and the old Drake and then refit Drake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the alien I, refit Drake. Well no no not, not only that, but just like you know, when in that motion picture era, when it was like now it had the square nacelles like the Reliant did. When right. Earlier it had the round ones. Like right. Yeah. I yep. just thought that was that was cool. Nice touch. That that it got a refit before the Enterprise did. Oh, I did not know that. Notice that. But yeah, definitely uh, with the crystals, it's got uh, the square nacelles. Oh yeah, yeah. Then it gets an even better refit later Ooh. from Kryptonians. Kryptonian refit. Nice. All right. So uh, if we're done with that, shall we talk about what we're doing next week? Is it going to be as exciting as this? (gasps) It's got to be because it's gold key time. Yay. We haven't done done gold key since 302 or something. It's it's been a while. It's been a while. So we're going to actually do 42 through 44. Gold key. Star Trek. That puts us right up to 45, which was a reprint of your favorite, The Voodoo Planet. Oh, my gosh. The best comic book ever. Yes. Right. Yes. The, com- the Voodoo Planet that features the uh, incredibly great concept that I hope makes its way into a future film. Um, Paper mache Paris, including Eiffel Tower, that somehow is, uh, is, is like a voodoo doll. And, <laughs> yeah, anyway, ridiculous. Right. Well, that's not the one we're reading. But, uh, no. Because we've no. already done that one. But 44 was the last new one before they decided to reprint the Voodoo Planet of All Ones in 45. Exactly. Well, why don't so, you take your best issue and redo it? <laughs> reprint exactly. it. Hey, as a kid in 1977, that, that might have been the one that the kids uh, related to the most. I still like the first one best, with the uh, satian plants. The yeah, yeah, right. that one was an all right one. 
Yeah, I mean, well, the planet of no return. Yeah, there are a lot of planets like that in Gold Key. Yeah. <laughs> but is, is that what they called it? It's very yeah, possible. Yeah, that was very it. Possible. That was it. Okay, so yeah, so 42 through 44. Right. And then the series only goes up to 61, so we're getting close to finishing that one off, too. Well, that's good. That's, um... Then we can focus on our other favorite, UK comics. Yep. Yep, we're almost done with the first volume of that, so then there's only three volumes. We're almost done with that, too, Ken. What are we going to do when we run out of Star Trek? Oh. Stop. (laughs) Or, or... Uh, Start over? Obviously, we... No. Obviously, we have found many other things we could branch out into. That's true. Yeah. Many things. Plus, there will always be new Star Trek comic books. And then we can start the Archie one. The Archie comic book with Donovan and Kay. Wow. Uh, That uh. would be something. I bet there's a lot of those out there. Oh, my God. There's so many. (laughs) When, When did... When did Archie start? In the early 60s or something? Or 60s or 50s, yeah. 50s? Ooh. old. Ouch. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's wrap it up and come back for some, uh, some gold key next week. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.